Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from across the Living Faith Fellowship and specifically LFBI. And uh, many of you have been following along over the last year and a half. Um, This will be episode 64, and a lot of you have been with us from the very beginning, and you've been catching up on podcasts. We really appreciate your support. And we would ask that that if you do enjoy the show and you find it edifying and strengthening, that you would share it, that you would like the the episodes, you'd subscribe, uh, and that you'd support us in that way. Uh, We're striving week after week uh, to make the show better and improve it. And so we're hoping that you're seeing that, and we hope that you're enjoying the content. Now, this week, uh, I have the privilege of interviewing my dear friend, uh, Brian Clark, pastor of Crossroads Baptist Church in London. And uh, we're going to have a conversation today specifically about emotions, Uh, and we're going to talk about about human emotion, about culture's influence on that, and specifically, what does it mean to be happy? Uh, Happy as a human being, but but more specifically, happy as a Christian, and how should we be thinking about our own happiness? And I'm really excited about having this conversation with him. We've we've talked about it several times, just hanging out, and uh, he has a lot of insight in this area. And also, uh, if you know Brian... Uh, he's the, he's the type of guy who seems to have a good grasp on his own emotions, and uh, he enjoys life, and 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 he's always joking about stuff, but he's also can be very very serious. And uh, he's actually off camera; he's laughing at me right now that I'm saying this. But but if you know Brian, you 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 recognize that he's a guy that has a biblical grasp on his own emotions, and and so uh, I think it's going to be a beneficial conversation for us today. And so Brian, man, that was way too much. That yeah. Was like, oh yeah, I have no grasp. Well, I, I know that you're improper a lot of the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, thank you. Yeah, uh, but but besides that, you, you're a happy person. I, I am a happy person, I suppose. You know, and I think uh, yeah. when people are around you, that rubs off. And yeah, yeah, I really like to enjoy the full spectrum of, of the of the human emotions. Yeah, 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 sure. But no, I, I I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you've seen my family, I mean, I have. Uh, an amazing wife and I have, you know, equally amazing kids. And, uh, so I really got nothing to be upset about. Well, we, we love your family and, and we're thankful that you're here with us, uh, for the show. Now you're here for mission focus. Yeah. And so if we can just briefly talk about uh, that for the listeners who don't know, mission focus is our annual, uh, missions conference that we host here in Kansas city. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a big deal to us. And Brian's in town from London uh, to speak at that. Maybe you share with us a little bit about what Mission Focus means to you. But I, I think it's uh, it's cool. So it's a strange time of year, but it really focuses us on you know the year to come. And we get to look back on what the year was like. And I think it's cool because it really centers everything that we're doing on the mission. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing, I was just talking to my daughter, my oldest daughter, Madison, about this the other day. And uh, she says it's she was telling me that it's really amazing when you visit other you know places and you listen to other you know podcasts and other things and um, not to implicate anybody in particular, but she's like one thing she sees is that there's a real lack of focus on the mission mm-hmm. and uh, it is I mean it's interesting as we're not to segue too much into what we're going to talk about, but the focus is on try to be happy right. Yeah. And the focus is not on the mission. And mm-hmm. she was just telling me that. She's like, people, she says, really seem to be losing their focus on the mission. Yeah. And uh, and that, that concerns her because, uh, you know, uh, she really does 
have her focus on the mission mm-hmm. and um which is great i love that about her um but uh, i think it's important for all of us to do that because yeah. uh, as we say at our house that's all there is right you know there's there's nothing else yeah. but the mission everything else that exists in our life just exists to support the mission mm-hmm. in, in one way or another it doesn't mean that the other things are important everything from you know, remembering your wife's birthday to, you know, mowing the lawn, all these things are important in life, uh, but they exist to support the mission. Right. Uh, they can't become the mission. And I think that is a good segue, though, into our topic, because um, I think so much of what we see both in culture and in Christianity is people striving towards um, happiness, you know, experiences that keep them elated or, or um, maybe even distract them. From the mission, ultimately, right. Uh, which I have a feeling we're going to keep coming back to that. Yeah, um, the need for the mission. Um, but, but I mean, even uh, and we've talked about this before. Maybe you can go a little bit more in depth. But, but what we see is even uh, you know, the the primary objective of you know therapists and psychologists today is to get people to a state of 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 happiness. Mm-hmm. Is a focus on what is it that makes you happy. Uh, put put all of your attention and energy into that. And if you do so, uh, hopefully you'll you know you'll die with a smile on your face, I suppose. But but maybe explain a little bit what what does it mean to be happy, and why do we have it so wrong? Well, I, I, I would go probably farther. I would say that even most churches today, most mm-hmm. ministers, uh, even beyond therapy, uh, I think most ministers they they may not say it that way, but that's right. probably ultimately the end goal. And I think for most people, they would say that that really is the goal of life. Yeah is, is to be happy. And, um, and I would say that, you know, being happy, I think is, it, it's important. It's, in, I think it's an important aspect of life. Uh, but I think it's a byproduct, you know, like Lewis was always kind of famous for talking about how, that if you really go after God, then, you know, you get happiness thrown in, mm-hmm. but if you go after happiness, then you get neither. And, uh, and I think that that, you know, I butchered his quote, but you know, it's the idea is that, you know, whenever you try to make happiness the goal, that's when it becomes the most elusive. Right. And uh, happiness in the Bible is always uh, pictured as a byproduct mm-hmm. of righteousness and holiness in the kingdom and, and focusing on God. And then you kind of get happiness thrown in sure. along the way. And it uh, it comes in all different shapes and sizes, happiness does. So it's not one thing. But um, But yeah, we've totally made that the goal. Yeah. How did that happen, though? Well, I, mean, I just from your perspective. Well, I think that it's a, it's an entertainment-driven life, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of float and ooze around like a lava lamp, just always from one amusement to the next, yeah. you know. And I think, uh, I mean, we could go in a lot of different directions, but I think obviously in society, it's one of the best ways to control a society is to, as they said back in like the fifties and sixties when they were really trying to promote this idea of happiness uh, is what kept them in line the most. They called people happiness machines and they, they wanted to do everything they could to curtail their darker impulses and make them happy because then they could continue to give their money to the economy oh. and, and support democracy. So this was a, this was an initiative from the government or marketing. What are you referring to like specifically? <laughs> well, um, I think it was uh, his name was Bernays was the guy. He was like a, 
grandson of Freud or uh, nephew or something like mm-hmm. that. But he was formed like kind of the first public relations office in the United States. Yeah, and, yeah. And uh, but they they really moved like you can see in marketing. It really changed. Uh, it used to be like if you wanted to sell a tractor, it was like it works. Do you need one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it costs this much. And that's what marketing was. Oh, yeah. But then it changed, you know, in the 50s and 60s to where if you want to be a real man, then you wear this kind of cologne. Mm-hmm. If you want to be happier, if you want to be fulfilled. And they, it really focused more on the emotional aspects of owning this product, which is the way it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be cool, then you're going to wear these shoes if you, you know, and all of that. It has nothing to do necessarily if you actually need the thing. And most right. of the marketing, the product itself becomes kind of incidental. Yeah. And it, the emotions are what drive whether or not you buy that. And um, because they want to you know, promote the idea that if you buy all these things, if you do these things, if you watch this show, whatever it is, then you'll be happy. And, uh, and of course, that was a completely failed experiment sure. by the time you got to the 70s, which is why you had the big hippie boom, because they were all raging against the machine. Rejecting, and, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and they're all just like, it's a, it's a bunch of crap, because yeah. everybody's sitting in their nice little homes with their fake smiles, mm-hmm. and they're all miserable inside, mm-hmm. you know, which is when the quote came out about how people live lives of quiet desperation, um, because everyone was like, okay, I bought all your stuff. You know, I've got the house and the picket fence. Yeah. And the two why is, point, why two is my marriage kids. failing and why am I? We all hate all, each other, yeah, right. you know. And um, so what's going on? Mm-hmm. So, but it really was just a way to placate people. And it was based upon Freudian ideas that people have these dark impulses that if you leave them to themselves, we will all kill each other. You mm-hmm. know, we'll all just, you know, do this, do these terrible things. So it was a way you have to keep them placated. Yeah. Um, and if you do that and you kind of keep them numb and keep them so-called happy, yeah, then you can have a society that you can... Sure, it's a brave new world. Build a democracy. Yeah, yeah. and then obviously, I mean, we could, we could talk about the pharmaceutical industry and how antidepressants and things like that came into the marketplace and, and how even drugs, I mean, contribute to this, this obsession with being happy and normalized and... Yeah you know, ultimately distracted from anything of a real meaning. Right. I mean, like there was a, uh, you saw the, the birth of like the focus groups during this time, Mm -hmm. you know, where they would try to sense how people felt about things. Like one of the things that stories I thought was most funny was when Betty Crocker was invented, they, you know, had meal in a box, you know, it was great. It's going to be really time saving. And it was just this big invention, really big product. And they could not sell a one of them hmm. and they couldn't figure out why. And the reason why is because the women at that time, they felt guilty. They felt like they weren't cooking for their family, you know, and they felt really guilty to buy that. Like they were cheating somehow. Hmm. And um, so if, even if you read the box today, you know, there, there, you always, you know, add an egg to the thing. Right. Yeah. And, and these, play no part in the ingredients or in the recipe they they did all the focus groups and they figured out this emotional issue that the women were having wow. was they wanted to feel like they were being a good wife so they said okay tell them to add an egg it's the illusion of of cooking contributing yeah yeah and they flew off the shelf you know and they were just they've been selling them like crazy ever since and even today you still add an egg 
but that was just it was all emotions that was all just trying to placate you know this feeling this need that people had to keep to, keep them happy to have to have and the, the crazy thing is is i think so many times there is this kind of um contradiction between happiness and purpose in other words it, it it's rare that in the world that you find that the two things actually function in tandem mm -hmm. they seem to always be separate so either you're being entertained and you have some sort of fleeting happiness experience yeah um or you're doing something really purposeful like your job and providing for your family but at no point like society doesn't do a great job of or the world doesn't do a great job of bringing the two things together perhaps and and, and your example betty crocker is is kind of interesting in that regard yeah and that you you did see like the boom with all the psychotherapy and mm -hmm. pharmaceutical drugs and all these things because i think what you're saying is exactly right people were buying the stuff and buying the betty crocker and they were buying the new cars and all this kind of stuff and uh they still weren't happy and so uh they're all sitting on the couch wondering why am i miserable and they're trying to delve into you know all of the supposed problems that they might have had mm -hmm. and traumas and things that might have happened in their life as to why that they're so miserable because they even though they are supposed to be happy they have they can't find any meaning in what they're doing mm -hmm. it's just all kind of pointless and um and i think that that's pretty much where we still sit yeah is we're striving to be happy and i think the younger generation uh probably more than anybody have really been focused on meaning you know and and like well what does it mean and you know does my life have meaning and uh, that kind of thing, things, and you see them really focused on causes and, and those kind of things right. because of that. Uh, they want to be attached to a cause yeah. because they do want meaning, probably more than any other generations have have had, mm -hmm. probably since mine and on forward. But you can even see in that in that way, there's there's a clear conflict between the obsession with entertainment and um, you know the constant scrolling uh, online, yeah. and that seems to conflict with with these greater purposes yeah and um which you know leads people to think that they're like revolting because they posted a you know a controversial you know political post of some sort when people are just scrolling right past it it's like the illusion of having purpose even even in that way they, they have these causes that they're, they're they desire to stand for these things that they they desire to bring meaning into their lives yeah. and yet they don't actually even know how to employ truer purpose what but see that's what that's kind of my point it's it's the betty crocker egg again mm -hmm. it's just the illusion of you know they've given her the illusion that she's cooking right and and with social media we can get the illusion that we have a purpose yeah yeah we get the illusion that there's meaning mm -hmm. and um you know, and we get that through entertainment even though we don't actually know anybody and we don't actually do anything uh but we still feel like we're standing for something. We feel like we're involved in something, you know, and it just gives you, it's just, they're just having you add an egg again. Yeah, yeah. That's all they're doing. Now, I mean, as we know that the church often falls prey to whatever's happening in the culture. I mean, um, anymore, I mean, the church is generally influenced by what's happening around them and, and begin to adopt sociological, cultural, ideals for sure and so we've found ourselves in a place where the, the church has in many ways adopted a lot of this way of thinking how, maybe explain how that happened and why the church is so obsessed with bringing 
a sense of of happiness or entertainment into into what you know in the first and second century was basically <laughs> uh, dangerous to yeah. believe. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, it's uh, you always had had that flux through history where it's kind of the outsiders, and then it becomes mm-hmm. mainstream again. And usually, the mainstream is not that good, right? You know? And then you have the outliers that are mm-hmm. dedicated to it, and you see that kind of go back and forth. And you still have that today, sure. But uh, I think that you know, I don't know if it's always something sinister, um, and and why it is that we see it in churches so much. I think there's probably a lot of good-hearted people that are out there doing ministry and striving to do the best they can um, kind of stuff. But we've just grown up in this culture, and many of us just don't know any different. It's a It's been an entertainment culture for a long time, and so it becomes an entertainment church. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate goal is, you know, we want to build a big church. And uh, we would just want a lot of people coming because if we have a lot of people coming, then we make a lot of money. And so then we can be bigger and we can be more famous and then we can be happy. Well, we can, yeah, not until we sign the book deal. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. we can be happy. Yeah. You know, that sounds so cynical, doesn't it? It really does. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we do see it over and over again. And, uh, and even without the book deal, it's, uh, Churches are do seem to be striving for um, comfort and uh, and and to create that sense of happiness and and um, they pl- they placate to the congregate in that way like what is it that people want and then they try to provide it. Mm-hmm. The problem is that I think what what COVID has proven is that that's not sustainable. Yeah, you know that people without purpose, entertainment's fleeting and happiness is fleeting, and and people know that and they can find happiness anywhere. Yeah, I mean there's there's lots of options I guess. Yeah, so I mean, you, temporary good feelings. You can definitely find some temporary good feelings in, in many places. And uh, it's, man, you know, you, you feel it when you watch, see like a really great movie mm-hmm. and you really enjoy it. And you feel, oftentimes people feel even a sense of sadness, like on that last episode of their favorite television oh, show yeah. and the series is over and they're like sad mm-hmm. because they have to wait till the next season. Gosh. I mean, how pathetic are we? Oh, I mean, we, we like get depressed in between seasons and we're, and then of course it comes back out again on Netflix or wherever you, whatever, uh, you know, platform or whatever you're yeah, into. Yeah. Whatever dealer you're going to you know, <laughs> and they, uh, they, uh, binge the next yeah. you know, season or whatever. And, um, yeah, but we need that now at church, we have to be entertained and we have to be given the illusion that of meaning and purpose mm-hmm. and, so we have to make people busy, give them projects, things to do, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so we can create the illusion of busyness and and purpose, uh, because then that, you know, keeps us happy. So, if if we can maybe take all of that, which is is kind of a critique, mm-hmm. um, and then and try to refocus our attention on what does it mean to be happy? Because happiness itself isn't a bad thing. It's it's a feeling, and and feelings are. are exactly what they are you know they're they're it's just an interpretation on our emotion yeah a reflection of, of our emotional state of being and so feelings aren't bad even in scripture feelings aren't bad like happiness and so maybe we can talk a little bit about what is it what's the bible's definition of happiness what does that look like well i think the the two main places uh, to go to uh, would be you know psalm 1 and matthew 5 uh, where uh, it, it's addressed specifically it uses the word uh, in the Bible, blessed, but uh, in both places, 
uh, they are either the common Hebrew word or the common Greek word for happy mm-hmm. uh, that was typically used, you know, in the culture. And, um, and so it's kind of saying, you know, this is a blessed man, mm-hmm. a happy man is, is this man, you know? And, and so it's really interesting when you look at that, because it's really not even close to what we would understand as happy, because if we're really talking about happy today, happy today would be, you know, I'm famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, happy today would be, uh, I'm really, there's no pain in my life. Everybody likes me and I'm very comfortable. And my favorite show is on mm-hmm. eating a bowl of ice cream. Yeah. It's circumstantial. It's yeah. It's, it's very sensory driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like you have to have, you know, your, it's really just the more you can feed your flesh, then the happier it will be. Right. And as soon as you stop feeding your flesh, you're not happy anymore. Right. I mean, that's really the bottom line mm-hmm. is uh, that's what happiness is, is you have to feed your flesh. And that comes down to really three categories. One is you need to consume something. Two, you need to prove something. And three, you need to possess something. Hmm. As long as you can keep doing that, keep consuming something. That's why we just eat ourselves to death. And if it's not food, it's alcohol. If it's not alcohol, mm-hmm. it's whatever. Yeah. You know, you have to always be consuming something all the time or sex or whatever you right. can consume. Uh, or you got to prove something. You need to be somebody. You got to do accomplish some big thing. Or you need to possess things. And, uh, and if you look at it, that's exactly where the devil tempted Christ Yeah. in all three of those areas. Sure. And as long as we can have everything be going well in those three areas then we're happy. But that's always the trick because the trick is with all of those things, they can be taken from you. Mm. And when those things become your identity, you know, then, you know, the devil takes that away from you or the world takes that away from you. And and then who are you, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you can't take, if you take away your things that you're, how you're feeding your cravings, if you take away where your pride is at, you know, when you take away your possessions, uh, then life has no meaning anymore. Right. And um, so I think the Bible really provides us with a much more sure foundation of real sustainable happiness. Mm. And uh, so Psalm 1 goes in, you know, says, hey, here's what a happy man is. The happy man, first of all, is the guy who doesn't listen to any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You need to turn off, you know, it really comes down to who your authority is in your life. Uh, who are you listening to? Where are you getting the truth from? You know, you don't want to listen to the counsel of the ungodly. You don't want to walk in the way of sinners. You don't want to sit mm-hmm. at the table of the scornful, yeah. you know, that, so you really have to kind of, I say this figuratively, you know, you need to turn off the television a little bit. Mm-hmm. You need to turn off the world. We just were flooded with so much bad information. And most people today don't, don't read, certainly not the Bible. Again, so I'm sorry, I'm sounding kind of cynical, but it's true. Most people, uh, I would say the majority of their convictions are are based solely upon the fact that they watched a TV show mm-hmm. or they, you know, watched a social media thing or, you know, it, almost all of what they believe about the world was told to them through a television show. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it didn't used to be like that. You know, it wasn't really till the invention of the telegraph. The telegraph is what screwed us. <laughs> <laughs> that was when information started getting passed all around. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that with the invention of the telegraph, 
uh, you also saw simultaneously the invention of the crossword puzzle. And um, and you're like, well, who cares? And, yeah, uh, no, but, I don't, yeah, what is... Well, the, re the reason why that that's interesting to me, anyway, is because with the telegraph, all of a sudden you had information being passed around that was, you know, when you're living in New York and you know what's happening in Boston and you know what's happening in California, as opposed to just what's happening in your local community. And people were just flooded with so much information. They didn't know what to do with it all. Hmm. So they actually you know, the crossword puzzle came out at that same time because it gave people a way to use all this new information that they had in life. It was a way that they were able to actually employ this vast amount of useless information that hmm. there was nothing. I mean, when was the last time that you read the newspaper and, and it made you change your plans? You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not that it's not, it's not that we shouldn't know about it. You know, it's good and all that stuff. But there's just not a whole lot we can do about it. Mm -hmm. You know, the stuff that we're just flooded with information all the time. And so that's what we have today through most of what we know about the world just yeah. comes through these little sound bites, sound clips. You know, there's no context. Mm -hmm. You know, they put the picture, the image with the little headline underneath. And we think we know the news. Like yeah. we think we know what's going on, you know, but we don't really know the context. We don't really know what's going on. That was the, what was so different about books because yeah. there was a time before the telegraph when the way that people interacted with the world was through books. Mm -hmm. And that makes you have to really uh, ruminate. Yeah. It it's, makes a, you, it's a more holistic knowledge set. Absolutely. Yeah. It gives you the context yeah. and you're able to think about it. And, uh, but that's not necessarily how we learn things today. No. And, um, and so that's the reason why I think that we have gotten into this position is because most of what we've learned uh, has been through a television show. So I think going back to Psalm 1, you know, it's saying, listen, the, the happy guy is the guy who at least, at the very least, analyzes where are you getting all of your information from? Mm -hmm. What is your authority in life? And of course, the, if your authority is the word of God, because that's exactly where he's leading them in Psalm yeah. 1. You know, he's saying you don't want to be uh, listening to the advice, the counsel of the ungodly. But the happy man is the one who meditates day and night in the law of the Lord. Mm -hmm. You see, that's your got to be your authority. So a happy man is someone who meditates in God's word mm -hmm. and um, day and night. And to meditate is like to really think about it. It's like a, very closely akin to the word we use today as study, mm -hmm. you know, and not just study, but to let it really roll around in your mind, to really think about it. And Treat it like a mirror, a yeah, looking glass. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like James says. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And so that's where happiness really begins, because happiness has everything to do with your perspective. Mm -hmm. And it totally changes your perspective on things, and it changes your expectations, you know, and... um so that's where happiness really begins. And whenever you put your roots down in God's word, then the Bible says that here's what it's going to produce in your life. You're going to become someone who has, uh, you know, uh, leaves that do not wither. You're going to be someone who's producing the right kind of fruit. Yeah. That, and that was actually the next question I was going to ask you is, is so if the, if the believer is meditating on God's word and it's producing a new perspective, then how does happiness manifest itself from day to day? In other words, what is what happens inside the Christian 
that leads them toward a, uh, uh, towards more of a, a happy or more fulfilled life? Well, because it, it definitely changes uh, the way that you view even what you would call bad stuff. Yeah. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I was hoping this is where you're going to go. Right. I mean, you. It's like, uh, like even Paul talks about like Romans five. Like even the bad stuff that ha- happens to us, it cannot diminish our hope. So even in Romans chapter five, when Paul's talking about how that even the persecutions and stuff that happen, it cannot diminish our hope. Uh, and even if we're chastened by the Lord in our life, it's actually a reminder. The fact that we're being chastened is a reminder that you are his child. Mm-hmm. It's actually, if you're not going through a hard time, if your faith is not being tested, if you're not being chastened by the Lord, uh, that's actually bad news. Mm-hmm. And if you are being tested, you are being chastened by the Lord. This is actually uh, some of the most concrete evidence that you are saved and that you are a believer. Mm-hmm. So even when we're going through those hard times, uh, you know, it, it totally changes the way you see that. Like Paul says, uh, it's when I'm weak, that's actually when I'm strong. And so God is using all of these things in our life to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. So he's not necessarily looking for us to be, by the world's definition, happy all the time. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he wants us to be holy, but it's you don't want to discount it completely because to, if you are holy, then the byproduct is you will be happy. Yeah, that's when you will be the happiest. Now, think about this like as an illustration. Um, if you want to be healthy and you want to be in shape, uh, well, the very first thing that you're going to do is you're going to cause yourself pain. Mm-hmm. You're going to go and run, and only lunatics run. I mean, who in the world is going out and just running? if they're not being chased, right? I mean, we're all just running ourselves to death. And I'm out there doing it too, because, mm-hmm. you know, my wife tells me I have to do that. But, <laughs> so I'm out there running. And, and if you want to be happy, you're going to listen. Absolutely. I'm going to listen to my <laughs> wife. But I'm out there, you know, at like six in the morning, I'm like running, listening to audiobooks, And I'm like, you know, what am I doing? But we're, okay, so we're out there running. We go to the gym and we'll lift all these weights. And then the next day, you know, you feel like crap, right? Yeah. Your, your muscles are so sore and you feel terrible. And everybody tells you that if you just keep, if you stick with it, if you keep doing this, then you're going to be so much stronger. You're going to be so much healthier and so much happier. Right. And so uh, they even, I mean, people say all the time, you know, no pain, no gain. Mm-hmm. And we understand this in that world, right? That if you're going to be, you know, a benefit is going to come through a lot of pain. Yeah. Right. But somehow in our spiritual life, we lost sight of that. Right. That we have to go through pain in order to see the benefit of our Christian life. Mm-hmm. So you're not you're not always going to be happy in the sense there's going to be some times that just suck. Yeah. And we understand that that's okay. We can have hope and joy in the midst of the suck. Right. Because we know that that actually works in us, you know, something that is really awesome. It actually grows us. It, it is that very sharp chisel that chips away, Mm -hmm. you know, that actually turns us into who God wants us to be. I I feel like what you're saying is that, um, happiness isn't really the issue. Uh, it's not, I mean, happiness is, is good to have happiness. 
is beneficial. Uh, well, but but it's it's based on what you what informs your happiness. Yeah. Right. What it, what is it that is establishing that happiness, and which will also impact its longevity. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like. I think that that's part of it. I think it's uh, you, you understand that this is going to get you to somewhere good, mm-hmm. but it it plays back on itself. So, like, if I go to the gym now and I'm lifting weights, if if I'm not sore, I'm disappointed, mm-hmm. right? Uh, if you see people who are really in shape and they've been doing this for a while, and they're like running up a hill, right? For as an example. And you have one guy that's not, not in shape and he's running up a hill. Well, uh, the very thing, the same thing that makes this guy want to quit is the exact same feeling that makes this guy want to push harder. Yeah. Like even it's not just it gets to a point that it's not just the result that makes you happy. You're actually happy because, because of, you know what the what the process produces. Right. So yeah. the pain even makes you happy yeah. immediately. Right. It's not just happy later. You're actually happy during. Because it's anticipation. Yeah. Because yeah. you're like, this is working. The, the pain means something has gone right. Mm-hmm. Whereas today we think if there's pain, if there's discomfort, we just assume something has gone drastically wrong mm-hmm. because my life is supposed to be a pleasure cruise, right? And if there's pain, you know, it's not supposed to be that. It's supposed to be pleasure. And right. so we just assume something has gone wrong, something needs to be fixed. But the person who understands that, the the pain even gives them an immediate kind of happiness. Right. Because they're like, okay, this is working. This is going right. And uh, so when we have problems, those are oftentimes the very thing that God is using in our life to make us into who we want. So uh, anyway, just to get, just to close off that point, when you meditate in God's word, it totally changes your perspective on everything mm-hmm. so that you see pain different you see pleasure different and uh you you know you view and so your happiness and what your happiness means and what it is it looks completely different yeah and i think you're you're already speaking to this but maybe this is a, a good place to to maybe differentiate between uh the term happy and and the term joy at least scripturally because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll hear people make this delineation and 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 clarify the differences between happiness and joy. Uh, maybe you can explain that a little bit. So um, the difference between happiness and joy, um, I think that joy is more of a more unshakable underlying reality, you know, that it is really based upon the reality of Christ and who we are in Christ. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is not as fluctuating mm-hmm. as happiness. I mean, happiness, I think, by you know, the very idea of the word is based upon what is happening to you mm-hmm. kind of right right now. Right. And whether or not you feel good about that or bad about that. And so it's it's more of a immediate disposition a, as opposed to an underlying reality. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that, like we always say at our church, uh, when we were studying like through First Thessalonians, we were talking about having, you know, everything you do being based upon, you know, looking for the imminent return of Christ Mm -hmm. and kind of living in light of his return is uh, we were saying that here's what we know all the time, no matter what is happening. What we know is that no matter how bad it gets, it's always going to work out well for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if there's any people on the planet 
who should just be laughing their butts off all the time. It should be us. Right. You know, I mean. It's like the one, the, the same thing that squelches the potential for any fear in this world uh -huh. is the same thing that produces hope and joy, mm -hmm. right. which is basically a state of being. Right. You know, unshakable, unmovable, standing. Right. You know, on the authority of Christ. I mean, it's really, we have such a great promise mm -hmm. in our life, such a great hope. And uh, so no matter what is going on, and the only time that we lose that sense of it is just when we forget. And uh, that's another thing we say all the time is uh, one of the greatest threats to our faith is our forgetfulness. Mm -hmm. And we just forget. And um, so like I could teach my kid how to swim and um, on the side of the pool, I can say, you know, here's what you do and show mm -hmm. them the strokes. And now I would never do that because I'm a terrible swimmer. But um, we sent them to like swim class. That's you know? smart. Yeah, smart. But um, so let's say I taught them how to swim. I teach them the strokes and you got to kick your legs and go through the whole thing, you know, and how to breathe and all that stuff. And they're like, okay, cool, cool. That's what Hudson would say if mm -hmm. he was here. He'd be like, cool, cool. And, uh, <laughs> and so if I took them then, little Stefan, and I'm like, all right, so you know how to swim. And then I drop them in the pool. Well, What's he going to do? He's going to flip out and he's going to flail and hands are going to, he's going to do everything he can to breathe. And mm -hmm. he immediately forgets everything that I just told him sure. to do. And that happens to us all the time. We get in the word, or we hear someone preach or we uh, watch the postscript or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever happens. And we're like, that's so right. That's the truth. I believe that. That's, that's great. And uh, then life just drops us in the deep end. Yeah. And we just forget everything. Because it was only ever just theoretical. It, well, it was, but I think it's the immediate shock of circumstances. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you just get an email that tells you that someone hates your guts. And yeah, you start... Pastors get those emails. Yeah. And then you're, you're <laughs> flailing and you're trying to figure sure. out how to breathe again. Yeah. And uh, you get dropped and you just forget for a second. So I think really one of the keys constantly, you see this is not only the responsibility of ministers one of our greatest responsibilities is constantly reminding people what they already know. As mm -hmm. you hear P Peter saying, I know you know these things, but yeah, I yeah. need to put you in remembrance. And But even as believers, that's we constantly need to be reminding ourselves what we already know so that whenever things change and circumstances shift and God is doing something in our life to chisel off those rough edges, uh, we're able to look at it and we're able to kind of see past it mm -hmm. and our joy is able to remain. Mm -hmm. We're able to, even in those moments, we're able to taste the joy, even in the middle middle of those really uh, hard times. Yeah. And um, but it's it's reminding ourselves, okay, yeah, it does get bad sometimes, but it's it's always going to end good for me, mm -hmm. no matter what is going on. As opposed to someone who's lost, no matter how good it gets. It's always going to end bad. Yeah, because because your own mortality is haunting you around every corner. You walk yeah. around with that fear yeah. of death. Yeah, it's what most philosophers and psychologists would say is is underpinning pretty much every decision sure. we make is yes. the threat of death all the mm -hmm. time, and we don't have that. No, and yet we live like we do. Oftentimes, we still live in that false reality mm -hmm. as opposed to living in the hope that we really have. And uh, I think that that's really where we should live, try to live most of the time. And it would really give us a different perspective. Yeah. 
And even as Christians, we're still listening to the wrong things. We're still listening to the wrong, you know, listening to the ungodly, to the sinners, to the scornful. And we're believing what we, we have a rule at our house. Like I tell my kids, okay, you can watch TV, right? And um, which is, that's risky because there's, you know, and obviously, you know, it goes without saying that you can't watch anything that would really dishonor, you know, the father and. Uh, you know, we teach them if there's anything you're watching that's going to vex your spirit, then you should turn it off right right away. My daughter, Caitlin, she's like the best uh, guard of the TV, you know. She, she has some serious convictions about If she hears like a cuss word, she's like, Dad, what are you doing? So we try to teach them. But we have a general rule about TV is that you can watch TV. You just can't believe a single word that comes out of it. Mm. That's the rule not a single word and they're like yeah but some of the things that are on there i mean like they have shows that have dogs in them and dogs are real so that sounds like a kid yeah they're like what about that dad (laughs) and i'm like well yeah but even a broken clock is right twice a day Mm -hmm. but you don't trust it to tell you the time yeah and the same way with tv is there going to be things in there that are true-ish there's going to be things that might have bits of truth in it but you can't trust it as a place to give you the truth. No. And I think this is super important in that, like, I think the, one of the, in terms of media and entertainment, the primary objective anymore is to simply skew the difference between tr- truth and lies and um, so that they're indecipherable. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's like, yeah. the pri- that's the primary objective, which yeah. I think makes what you're saying particularly important. And I think you could really apply that rule to just media in mm-hmm. general is, uh, you know, if you really want the truth, the Bible is the only place you can go in the entire world where it will never lie to you. Yeah. Meditate on God's word. That's mm-hmm. got to be your source, your authority. Yeah. You need to eat the Bible up like it's chocolate. And the other stuff, TV and, you know, let that be the exception in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, just don't believe a word of it. You see something on media, you see something on TV. You know, don't believe a word of it. I tell people that even about the YouTube videos where I'm preaching, I'm like, you don't necessarily believe it just because I said that. You need to check me according sure. to God's word yeah. and make sure that what I'm saying is the truth. Right. And then you can believe it. Yeah. And um, and just, you know, do that. That's got to be your source. Then that will change your perspective. That, you know, changes the way you view every circumstance that you encounter in your life. I think that that's at least the start to what being a happy person is. Mm-hmm. You know? So then as that, as that cultivates and as time passes and, and you begin to grow and, and you find your joy and contentment sourced in, in the truths of God's word, um, it makes me think, okay, so what should day to day in terms of happenstance, in terms of happiness, what should bring the Christian happiness? And and maybe more specifically, what make what makes you happy? <laughs> I guess is what I'm getting at is, is what, what makes Brian Clark happy uh most of the time uh if mindy's happy (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's like uh my one of my favorite moments of the day i think Mm -hmm. i was telling you about this last night one of my favorite moments of the day is uh i always because i'm always up uh first and up early in the morning and uh so i make the coffee and uh we just celebrated 25 years and so um, cool it is really cool and um this is like one of those things that people really miss 
when you have uh, multiple relationships, when you have uh, sex outside of marriage, when mm-hmm. you, you know, you, when you give up on the relationship is if you don't push through, if you don't stick it out and um, really enjoy that kind of relationship um, in the long term, that there's a, there's a different kind of joy and happiness that we have in our relationship now, because uh, if you can imagine, uh, Mindy has known me, you know, and been married to me for 25 years. Mm. So there's no one on the planet that knows me like she does. She knows every bad thing about me. Right. And, uh, and that's a lot. There's a lot of bad things. And she knows every dark right. secret. She knows every bad habit. She knows when I'm full of crap. She just, she knows it all. Mm-hmm. And she still loves me. Now that's something that people on the front side of 25 years, they can't know that. They can't experience that kind of love. Mm-hmm. And that's where they really uh, miss out mm-hmm. when they're like, okay, I'm going to have just multiple partners. I'm going to go out and just sure. enjoy it. They'll never, they'll never be able to experience that kind of acceptance and love for someone to be in your life that knows you, really knows you, and chooses to love you anyway. Yeah, man. Uh, so I, I say it kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, I do love it when Mindy is happy. Yeah. Um, and my one of my jobs is to love her like Christ loved the church, and to you know, to really uh, focus on providing for her. So one of my favorite times of the day is to make the coffee. I bring it up to the room and you can't even see her. She just, she just cocooned in the, in the blankets, (laughs) except for one foot. There's always one foot that's out. I'm serious. 25 years, always one foot out without exception. And, you know, I set the the coffee down and she comes to life, you know, and uh, she's, she's beautiful. Mm. she's just so beautiful. And she's always like, Oh, Brian, she always tells me you wear Mindy goggles. Cause I tell her that. And she's like, she's going to hate this. I mean, she's going to, she, yeah, she doesn't, she's going to hate this. But yeah, even when she, I tell her, I wish I could take pictures because she's so beautiful. Like when she first wakes up in the morning, she just looks perfect. And that's one of my best moments. Mm. And, um, whenever she's happy, um, it really makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. That's good, man. Brian. Thank you so much for sharing with us, and, and we really appreciate you giving us your time. Yeah, man. And, and we want to thank you as well for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. And, and we hope you'll come back and join us again next week. Uh, obviously, we're doing this uh, because we want to share LFBI with you, Living Faith Bible Institute, and, and we want to point you that direction. And if you've got questions about LFBI, you can visit lfbi.org. Uh, you can reach out to us uh, through that website. You can also check out our, our course schedule for this coming spring 2021 uh, and see if there's any classes that interest you or, or uh, would benefit you in any way. We do want to grow you in your faith and we want to use God's word to do it. Uh, and so we hope uh, that you'll check that out. But we love you and we're grateful for you and we hope to see you again next week. My name is Dallas Lauderdale III, man, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of background of my story. 2016, I graduated from Moody, and Pastor Trider was like, hey, we're about to start another semester in, in LFBI, man, why don't you hop on it? So I did, man. I learned more in those three classes than I did in two years enrolled in Moody. LFBI is 
what I was looking for back in 2014 when I enrolled in Moody. It has increased uh, my zeal for the Word of God and for the God of the Word. I really encourage anybody who is out there that is that is seeking God. This is the place where your excitement for the Word of God and again for the God of the Word will increase. So hopefully I'll be seeing you guys soon. Take care.